0: Welcome to episode number 72 of the Grab Blogger podcast. This is the podcast where we're helping academics change the world through online business. We're helping you by giving you the tools, the tips, the strategies, the techniques you need to build an online business around research experience, around your expertise, and around the changes you want to make in the world. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Coloney. In today's episode, we're talking about how to set up a TEDx talk. We're doing this with Dr. Stephanie Shuttler from FancyScientist.com. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the Grab Blogger podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited
0: to be here. I'm really excited as well. Stephanie has a a PhD in biological sciences. Um, I've been following her journey at fancyscientist.com, which is now stephanieshuttler.com as well. I'm on her newsletter. I get all of her updates on animal trap photos, on Tiger King, on all sorts of uh, different fun stuff in the world of of animals and and biological sciences. Uh, We've been talking back and forth behind the scenes around a a number of topics, really, to online business, around blogging as an academic making money blogging, paid public speaking, media advertising, and I really want to get her on the podcast for a while, and she mentioned that she has a book coming out on careers in wildlife biology, but uh, it's not coming out till the fall. So I said, well, let's get on the podcast and talk about something else, and we'll come back and get you back on for the book in the, the fall once it's out. And After flipping through her website, I saw this post on what it really takes to give a TED Talk, um, where she actually talks about her experience on TEDx. I thought that might be something of interest to the audience, so we're going to go through that today. In the interview, we'll talk about Stephanie's background, how does someone even get involved with TEDx, what does the preparation process look like, and maybe what are some of the benefits of doing this. So if you're interested in this topic, as always, you can get a copy of the transcripts, very nice PDF document, download at grabblarcom slash 72 for this episode. Dr. Shuttler, I think a great place to kind of jump in is, can you just share some of your journey and how do you get started on that?
1: Sure. It was a very convoluted way. I think I first started blogging with my lab mate um, probably maybe like 10 years ago, or maybe even more. And we did a group blog together based on our research. And I kind of used blogging as a way to advertise myself, um, to advertise my research, but also to communicate the science behind it. And that was just something I was really interested in because I just care so much about the animals that I studied. So at that time, I was studying African forest elephants and they're an endangered species. And I really wanted to get the message out to people about this animal, which most people don't even know about. At that time, the species designation was still on the fence, but they are definitely a different uh, species than the African savanna elephant. And I continued blogging during my postdoc, and I did a postdoc at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. And there, they really embraced and welcomed and celebrated science communication. Being a museum, that's a really, I mean, that's fundamental to being a museum is communicating science to the public. And I just had so much fun doing it. I loved it. Most of my communication, I would say, was with uh, public talks. Um, But we also created videos, and I was still blogging. And for me, I really wanted to become a wildlife biologist because I cared deeply about conservation. I really wanted to save the animals, save the world. But I realized that I could have, honestly, I think I could have more of an impact by... Doing science communication than I could with research, because although science is incredibly important in studying conservation problems, what I realized is that so many, pretty much all conservation problems stem from us. That if we just stop doing X, then the animal would be would be better off. So for forest elephants, if we could just stop the poaching then really they would they would be fine for for forest elephants habitat loss is is not a big problem they have a lot of habitat habitat in uh countries like Gabon where i worked and so i just i just started to see that i had more impact there in terms of what i cared about and i just started to have more fun with it and then i decided to start my own blog from that and from there, I started to interact with the North Carolina Bloggers Network and learn that you could actually uh, monetize off a blog and that there are a lot of bloggers out there that blog that are living. And then I started exploring that and I got deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole, which is where I am today.
0: I love it. and I, I revealed begrudgingly at first, but uh, I'm all right with admitting it now because we talked about it in a couple episodes, that when I first got started, it was, it was a similar path where... I joined what was then called the East Coast Moms Blogging Network. And of course, I'm not a mom. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, I don't have the some of the prerequisites required. But it was the only kind of blogging group. And it really influenced me on, on figuring out how to do this thing called online business, how to get started there. And we've really done our own spin on it now as scientists, as doing outreach, as building online business academics, and, and what we call this road to self-tenure. Uh, but you know, it all started by going out talking to people that are online and doing this. So it's kind of cool to hear that, uh, that journey from you on the science side. I really liked your point that the impact can be made. And I don't know what the role is. It's like an integrator. So you have the science aspect of it and then you have real life and doing the science parts great. But if, if it's not actually impacting policies, procedures, um, habits, anything that we're doing in in real life, like my, my business that um, does safety science for industrial safety, if we're not actually changing people's behaviors and making things safer, then you know what is the science doing? So science communication can play a really important role in that and, and in the impact you can make with your research. I think that's a, a really smart way to go about it. So you started, was it Fancy Scientist when you first started your website or was it something else?
1: It was when I first started my blog. But before that, I was blogging with another researcher or two other researchers at a blog called Wildlife Snippets. And it was S-N-P-I-T, like like SNP as a single nucleotide polymorphism for genetics. Um, but as I veered away from genetics, because my postdoc didn't involve genetics, um, I felt that it was no longer a good fit for me because it was a lot of emphasis on conservation and evolution. Um, but I became the fancy scientist because at, the, at my postdoc at the museum, my big role was to integrate the research we were conducting in our lab into the middle school classroom alongside teachers. So we worked together for three weeks over three summers, um, and I worked with three different teachers. And the first set of teachers that I worked with, they all had this impression of what a scientist looks like, like we all do, which is, you know, usually... White person, a lab coat, usually they're older. So someone looks like an Einstein.
0: They used to, used to have a pipe in the 80s, but not anymore.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and when they worked with me, I, I just always like dressing up. I always liked makeup. I used to dress up for fun when I was, when I was a young girl. And in graduate school, I kind of toned it down because I thought people wouldn't take me that seriously. But I, I actually realized that wasn't true. And I just started being more and more myself. And when I got to the museum, my fully was like that. And they were just shocked at how fancy I was. <laughs> That's what they said. And my, my family owns a jewelry store, too. So I love to wear fun jewelry. And they just started calling me fancy science, Or they just started calling me fancy. And then, and then kind of the name Fancy Scientist stuck. And I just really liked it. And I thought it summarized me really well. And I decided to change my... At that time... I don't think I had the blog. I just had I had Twitter and other social media and I changed my handle to get
0: the science. I love it. That's a that's a cool story. If it's your website then your blog, kind of how did you get started there creating content and sharing on social media? What were some of the steps involved to getting it to where it's at today?
1: It's been a huge evolution. I'm still learning. I still I'm always kind of like figuring out where I'm going with the blog when i first started blogging it was all about my research because that's what i knew the best and i was an expert on it and i think a lot of scientists do that they they just start with what they know and i think that they are scared that there are people out there like poking holes in their blog posts and, and trying to find like what they got wrong and that is not what it's like at all so i started then branching out and blogging about other people's research. I I actually like, I don't know, I didn't know you could do this for some reason. I always thought like you had to like own the study or be the author of the study to do that. So I started blogging about animals and I just really started to think about how people impact the environment, how they can help out animals. So I really believe that Having connections to nature are really important. So I tried to blog about some of like the fun animals that we got on our camera trap that people probably never heard of. But then I also thought about like lifestyle choices and things that I do. And because I'm a fancy scientist, I incorporated some things from my fancy side, so more eco friendly lifestyle choices that you can make. And now I'm really blogging a lot about careers in wildlife biology. And that stemmed from one of my blog posts that I wrote becoming really popular as my most, blo- my most popular blog post on seven beginner tips for a wildlife biology career. And I just realized that there's not a lot of information out there. I started Googling it and the information out there is, is honestly bad and outdated. Um, I think that people have expectations of what a wildlife biologist is and the reality is totally different. I knew that was for me, even though I had internships and experience. Once you go through graduate school, you're really, you really realize what science is. And like I said, the expectations just don't match reality. So now I spend a lot of time trying to give that information to people and try to help them make the right career decisions for them.
0: I love it. That's a cool progression. And I should, I should clarify when I said... Uh trap photos they're camera traps not um not animal traps <laughs> um, yeah. and they they come out in uh in stephanie's newsletter she has a fancy scientist newsletter that i think maybe comes out weekly but i get it and she talks about some of her blog posts some of her, her work in wildlife biology but then also has this camera trap photo and i'm looking at the down the barrel of i think griffith the crocodile right now but maybe that's not his name <laughs> um, but yeah it's kind of fun i i signed up for the fancy scientist newsletter. A long time ago, probably a year and a half or two years ago, when I was really researching how are people communicating as scientists, and I liked your brand—if you want to call that—stuck out in terms of the fancy scientists. It wasn't vanilla, it wasn't plain, Um, and because of that, I mean, I'm not a—I the last time I took biology was grade nine because I went into physics and chemistry route. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't get the joke about the, the snip, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, so it's not topical, but I was interested in how you were portraying that information online, um, because my expertise wasn't there. So it was kind of cool to see.
1: Yeah. And I think working with the general public at the museum too, made me realize how little people know about these subjects. Like I mentioned before, when I started reading or writing about my research, I thought, like, you know, I'm an expert or one of the experts on forest elephants. I can write about this confidently, especially their behavior. But when I started giving public talks at the museum, you had people who were educated and who did know a lot about elephants when I gave an elephant talk. But then you had people who knew absolutely nothing. Or, you know, I was talking to one of my blogger friends the other day, and he showed me a picture. I think it was an iguana. And he was like, "Look, I included this for you because you study them." And I was like, "I study mammals." And he was like, "What's that? <laughs> like, this is this a mammal?" So the yeah, so the so just the information out there that people know. They, when you're, when you're in graduate school, you're in this bubble where everyone knows a lot, and you know you often feel like the stupidest person in the room because people know so much, but. When you talk to the public, you realize that so many people don't know this information and they're so excited by it too, especially kids. They really soak up this information. And, and that's why I had so much fun doing it because it was just really fun to, to share these stories and what's going on in our research.
0: Yeah, I love it. And you, you mentioned something there about speaking and doing public speaking. What kind of role does that play with your, your website and how do they maybe support each other today?
1: Speaking is something I want to develop in the future. So my 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 postdoc position was grant funded and it ended in February. So between now we're in July and February, I've been doing science communication full time, um, making fancy scientists. I now have an LLC, uh, a full time business, and public speaking is something I definitely want to add. But I haven't yet put in the the energy into developing that part as much because that was that was another thing i didn't realize that people make their careers out of public speaking that they give talks to different organizations all over the world and they get paid for them i had given lots and lots of talks but i did it with my job at the museum so i was getting paid but not in the same sense Um, but So I put it on hold a little bit because I wanted to focus on finishing my book first. As you mentioned, I'm writing a a book on a guide to wildlife biology careers that'll be out in the fall. And then I see public speaking as something to follow up on that. So I'll probably reach out to universities and see if I can give talks on the subject. But I love public speaking. I actually think it's really fun.
0: Yeah. And I I did want to clarify there. So when you say that you're, you're thinking about it and you're kind of just getting started, that is, paid public speaking as part of your business model yeah you have a a quite extensive background in actually giving public speaking i think over over 100 presentations across five continents or something i remember reading on your website
1: (laughs) yeah and people are available to book me for public speaking now it's just more of like the progressive like reaching out and getting paid gigs and things like that and then also you know covid hit which canceled everything so it was kind of good timing for me to put that aspect
0: on pause that makes sense and that's kind of where I came through with um, looking through your website looking through your speaking and then I came across this um, post on there that was what is it really like to give a TEDx talk and we'll include a link to that in the show notes for someone who's interested at uh, grablaw.com slash 72 but what does that process look like like how does someone if someone's like okay well I'd like to get involved and present at TEDx you know, how did that come about for you? What's the process look like to to get involved?
1: I was actually invited to give a talk. Somebody I knew at the museum recommended me. Um, it was so. So this TEDx was at um, Furman University. It was organized by students, and she was a former junior curator at the museum. So she was at one point like a high school student, interning at the museum, and she contacted her a you know, former advisor, and she recommended me. So that's how I got invited. I found out once I started, once the event started and talking to the other participants that you can apply for it too. I did not know that. So if you're really interested in giving a TEDx talk, just Google a TEDx, either university close to you or city close to you, and you can apply online. You can even nominate people for TED online too, but you're, it's probably going to be a lot more competitive. And then the process itself, I actually learned a lot from TEDx, because even though I had been working at the museum for, I think, four years at that point, and I had given a lot of public talks, and at the museum, we also get a lot of science communication training too, so it's not like we're just given a talk, or we're just told to give a talk, and kind of like, oh, we'll see how you do. And if it's a bad talk, they'll let you keep going with it. No, they give you feedback at every stage to make sure you give a really good, engaging public talk. But with Ted, it's it's really about ideas worth spreading. So that is the hook. You want to think about like what's a, a cool new idea out there that you really want to get get into the world. And it doesn't even have to be completely new. And the process really is you you start with your concept and they give you a coach to work with too. So the coach encourages you to think about your talk in just a few words with that idea worth spreading. And when I did it, I actually presented my talks first. You could go about it both ways, but I gave him the slides for my talk first. And then he gave me feedback on how to make it better. And you can go through this process over and over again with your coach because they want these, these TED Talks to be really good. But it really just boils down to doing an idea worth spreading. And for anyone who's thinking about giving a TEDx talk or just a good talk in general, it's really about like, the story and the arc of everything. So even before you open up your PowerPoint slides, what's really helpful is to grab a, a pen and a paper or even, um, I know you had Pat Flynn on the, on the show. He, he does this with writing a book where you get post-it notes and you write like different concepts you want to convey on your post-it notes and then you arrange them in the order that you want to go. So it's really about creating that story arc. And again, that key concept that you want to get across.
0: Yeah. I I do the same sort of thing when I create a presentation. I think I probably did a podcast episode about it and I'll see if I can pull up while I'm talking But I do the same thing where instead of doing the post-it notes, like, uh, pat does doesn't doing a mind map that way i'll just do it in a, a google sheet i'll put all my research in there all my bullet points all my notes and then i just kind of cut and paste the cells or copy and paste the cells into that story arc or into a, a framework like format by dr bernice mccarthy where you go through why what how and what if or you know pick some sort of structure and then put those ideas in and the most important part is to delete stuff <laughs> the the biggest waste of time is to create a, an hour and a half presentation for a 30 minute time slot and then be stuck trying to get up so when you're doing that ideation stage if you're doing a half an hour talk you know one to three points is, is all you can cover if you're doing an hour talk maybe you can cover five and yeah so i i used to do it all the time i create presentations way too long and then spend a lot of time cutting back and yeah it's uh i'm, I'm better at that now today I covered my whole process back in episode 43 of the podcast, how to create a webinar presentation. So you talked about some of this process that you you were invited, but you can uh, fill out an application to join. You need to work with a coach, which is kind of an interesting thing. And that was probably pretty helpful to get some feedback. For a lot of people, that might be the first time they would ever, you know, work with somebody before the presentation to give them feedback, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So there were uh, there were other people there who... Uh, I don't think I've ever given a public, public talk, like, or, like an official public talk, maybe you know, back when they were in college or something. But um, this one person in particular, he wrote horror novels. And he gave a really great talk. He had a really great story about how he came about to write horror novels and how they, they helped him with some of his childhood issues. And he was not practiced at all. So I mean not practice in terms of having the history of giving talks. Um so yeah, he worked with the coach more intimately and and practiced probably a lot more at home in person or with, with people in a pretend audience vocally as well than than I did. But even, even with giving lots of talks, you definitely have to practice. It's just it's a fine balance of sounding rehearsed but not memorized if like you want to know what's coming up on the next slide and and you want to time everything well another good tip or one of the most important tips i think for talks is text when you talk about deleting stuff i actually i actually don't worry so much about the number of slides that i have a lot of people say like one slide per minute but i show a lot of animal photos and i think I think just people, you know, they just like looking at photos, and photos like, are more compelling than text. So I tend to show more slides, but I remove almost all text from my talks, um, if, because if they're reading, they're not listening to you. And if you're giving a good talk, you should be able to convey the point well. Um, so that's that's another one of my tips. But yeah, even if you've never given a, a talk before, you're not well rehearsed. It's, as long as you have a good idea, that's really what they look for.
0: So that was like the prep process. I've never been to one of these kind of TEDx sessions, but was there anything special during the day of, or you know, what did that look like for for the folks listening?
1: So we got there. It was a two-day event. The first day was the run-through and the rehearsals with everyone. Um, So I think they had eight speakers, and it was at a university. And of course, that first day they didn't have anyone. It was just it was the students putting on the program, but they watched. And you wear the Britney Spears headset and you go over passing the, um, or not passing in the main microphone, but the introductions and everything. It was super fun to meet the other speakers. I actually met, um, this is really crazy, but I I did a study abroad program in 2003 and I re-met somebody who went on that same study abroad program with me. He was another TEDx speaker, so that was really, really crazy. But yeah, it's just—it's just like a normal just rehearsal, and then the next day, I mean, it's—it's it's definitely intimidating. I was nervous, even like I said, I've given talks before, and I think I like this too when you, when you can see the slides well in front of you, and they do have them to the side, but you really want to. You really want to know what's coming up on your slides and look forward and connect with the audience. Yeah. It's just really you on stage and you want to try to stay in the center. So you're on camera and, and that's really it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's really nerve wracking, but it's super exciting when you're done, when you're done speaking.
0: Yeah. I love it. And I, I, uh, while you were talking, found your TEDx talk, uh, how kids can save wildlife. So, We'll put a, a link to that in the show notes as well, so folks can can see and celebrate your great work.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: So, was there any kind of benefits out of doing this from your um, career or you know your website or you know, what what happened after the the talk? Then was there anything coming out that way?
1: I don't have any tangible benefits. It's not like people came up to me and they were like, because you're a TEDx speaker, now you can do this, or we invite you to do this. But it really does give you a lot of credibility, a lot of clout, a lot of prestige. I mean, some of the people, like in my blogging group, when they found out I gave a TEDx talk, they're like, oh my gosh, you're like too good for us. (laughs) We're not worthy. But, but yeah, I didn't see any direct benefits, but I do think I can use it when I'm working on my my public speaking career, definitely to accelerate it. It, it, it again, shows that you, you have the clout to do a TEDx talk.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can put it on your website that you, you know, featured in or involved in or, you know, that kind of thing, including TEDx, you can link the, the videos. Certainly when you do promote your speaking more to have a page with some speaking reels is really important and having even part of that TEDx talk as as embedded in that speaking reel or highlighting that. I think that would be a you know something that would certainly help with the career path there. So there's probably a you know a couple of things that come out of it like that.
1: Yes, absolutely. It was really helpful for that reason. Because most people when you think about giving a public talk, you don't think about filming yourself and there they have a professional crew doing it. So it's really great to have that footage as you mentioned for for your speaking reels on your
0: website. No, oh, I love it. So I mean that's been some of the background on how to sign up for a TEDx talk, how to prep for it, how to give it, what some of the, you know, the benefits might come out of it. I know you and I talked behind the scenes a bit on on different things like your book and that, but for the audience, what's what's kind of the next steps for you and your your online work?
1: The next step, I actually just started something this week. <laughs> Crazy week. Oh share it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure when this comes out, but maybe people can still join if there's time. But so I'm writing this book. It's a guide to careers in wildlife biology. And what I realized is I had such a hard time finding a job, quite honestly. When I went through graduate school, I was told over and over again I wouldn't be pigeonholed by my research. But when I graduated, I totally was. And um, this isn't just like my advisor telling me. I talk to a lot of people in the field at conferences, seminar speakers. And the field, I think, has just become so competitive. There's just so many more PhDs, more master's students now that they really can select people who exactly meet the criteria. And I actually got an email um, once that said that. like we We're really lucky, but we, met some, we, we had someone to apply who like, exceeded our expectations. So in graduate school, I was always told that I could, as long as I sold my PhD, I could apply for different types of jobs. And I went through my PhD knowing that I wanted to go into conservation, probably research, but I had this really like vague sense of what I wanted to be. And, and like I said, I got pigeonholed and it was hard for me to, to find a job that fit my degree quite honestly i also had a really narrow field of research which there aren't that many jobs for there's just few jobs in general and if you're having undergraduates in my lab i started giving them advice and as i mentioned before on my blog i started giving them advice on on what i wish i had done in retrospect now I actually don't wish that anymore because I really think I found my my true love, which is science education. But had I gone in thinking I want to do conservation research, I would have gone about it differently. And actually, you encouraged me to write a book because I think I was in, I was starting to write an ebook, um, and you're like, why not just write a book? And then I started writing. And I was like, I definitely have enough to write a book here. And then I I really wanted this book to be action-oriented, so I started thinking about a workbook to go along with it. And as I was designing the workbook, I was like, I think people might need more instruction. And I also want to make sure this workbook works for people. So I just decided out of this week to organize a beta group, basically testing this workbook. I came up with eight different exercises we're going to do weekly exercises where we fill out information to discover themselves like what what they're what they're good at what they really want in a job what they enjoy doing what they don't enjoy doing to research the job market and to start networking and we'll do facebook lives every week to go over the exercises as well as q and a's so i'm starting that july 20th and if you go to in my website, if you go to Careers section, you'll see a you'll see a um, post for it where you can sign up. But yeah, so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just helping a lot more people figure out where they want to go in this career. I actually belong to the Facebook page or Facebook group. I think it's Wildlife Sciences Careers. And there are so many people on there who just post like I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to get into this. And there's just like I said, there's just so much confusion. There's not a lot of good advice out there. The advice is outdated. I just I've been really enjoying helping people figure out their path so they don't make the same mistakes that I did.
0: Yeah, I love it. And this this episode itself will come out uh, August 20th. So if you're look if you're listening to this live. Um, go to FancyScientist.com or StephanieShutler.com, but it's easier easier to spell Fancy Scientist. Go there and check out the careers tab and that, uh, you know, that resource will be available. And if you are stuck in the sprut of you've been, you've been promised that uh, a PhD is a transferable skill and you don't know what to do next and you're on the entrepreneurship track. Unfortunately, if you're listening to this, the self-tenure community will have just closed for a couple of months but if you go to selftenure.com, uh, you can join the waitlist there when we open back up. Um, that's a, another option for academics that are building online businesses to uh, to do the research and have the careers and create the impact that they want to make in the world as well. So, Stephanie, I really appreciate you coming on talking through some of your experience. I appreciate you talking through how to prep, do, and benefit from a TEDx talk. You're working in wildlife biology and careers there. I think that's a, a great area. And it's probably something you're going to be able to help a lot of people with. So I'm excited to see how that, uh, you know, comes up down the tracks as well. Somebody's in that field and they want to connect with you or they just want to learn more about your story. Where's the best place for them to go to, uh, to learn more about your work?
1: If they go to my website, I have my whole story there. All of my social media handles are there, so you can contact me. I, I respond to every message, um, so that's the easiest way to find me. Just Google Fancy Scientist.
0: Oh, I love it, and I uh, appreciate you coming on, and I'm sure we'll get you back on the podcast here once, you're, uh, once your community is up and running and once your book is out. Thank you
1: so much. I had so much fun today.
0: So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Dr. Stephanie Shuttler from FancyScientist.com we were been talking around her journey as well as how to sign up for and give a TEDx talk. So we, we talked about how she got started online with blogging through a, a group blog that she was running and how she ended up transitioning that into her own personal blog and how that changed over time. So she started looking really specifically at her own research, moved more into you know, connecting with others, figuring out what their challenges were, things along the lines of wildlife, biology careers, and different areas like that, but also interjecting more of her personality into the blog as it grew. And then we, we talked about some other aspects, moved we into how public speaking has fit into her career progression to today, but also, you know, how that might be involved in the future through her online business. And we talked about what a TEDx process looks like. So we mentioned that you can be invited, you can apply to give a TEDx talk. If you Google TEDx talk in your sort of local area, you can see maybe what, uh, you know, what's coming up or better yet, probably go to the TEDx website and and they'll tell you where the different ones are being hosted. You can apply there. The process is pretty interesting. You pair with a coach; they really give you some feedback on this idea around making a presentation that fits under their tagline, which is ideas worth spreading. And they'll they'll give you some feedback there. You'll do a test run, do the presentation during the live day, and, and as we said, it's you know it's professionally videoed. It's also something that you can use and put on your website um, to to increase your I guess clout if you, for lack of a better word, in the speaking space. Um, and we closed up by talking about these. Idea of careers in, in wildlife biology and things that Stephanie can be doing there. And I mentioned the self tenure community. If you're listening to this when it comes out, that will have just closed. So you can join the waiting list there. And if you're, you're listening to it in the future as well, you can check out where that's at at selftenure.com. So until next week, I hope you have a great week ahead. I'm really forward to continue to help you build your online business and make the change that you want in the world as an academic that's putting yourself out there as an expert and creating the things that you want to create in the world through your research. <music>